You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Well, it is such a special honor uh, for me and Paige. She's back now, so she, uh, she will hear the sermon again. But uh, it is such a great honor for us to be here. Our three children uh, that are uh, in the children's ministry now. Uh, this is a special day. I mean, I, um, I was really overwhelmed in the first service just thinking about this moment in the life of this church here at the 50-year marker of Valleydale, which is a significant marker in the life of any church. A lot of churches don't make it to 50 years. Um, it was about 25 years ago, really, that kind of the energy to move the campus and build this building kind of began. And so here we are on the really the other side of that. And, and for me personally, it was actually 10 years ago this Sunday, the fourth Sunday in January of 2013, that I preached in view of a call uh, for you. So in so many ways, this is significant, and uh, we are blessed and honored uh, to be here with you. I am so proud to have been and, and to still be associated with this good church. And with these good people and with the work that you've done, not only through the ministry of this church here in this area, but, but literally all over the world. Uh, I, I meet people all the time that are blessed by Valleydale and uh, God is, is bearing fruit through this faithful ministry. So Pastor Mac, thank you for the invitation. It is a great honor to stand in your pulpit and preach the word of our Lord. Amen. So let's... Uh, Open our Bibles today to John 7. John 7, I just want to look at two verses, verse 37 and 38. Of course, these words come to us from the gospel writer John, who was a disciple of Jesus, but he writes them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words come to us with authority, the same kind of authorities that Jesus himself were reading these words to us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. John 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of her heart, will flow rivers of living water. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as a good Huntsvillian, I've always followed space, space exploration. We're very proud of the Saturn V there in Huntsville. And I've always been intrigued by space and what we might discover out there. And of course, I don't believe there's other living things out there in the same kind of created order as we see here. But, I, but that's the question, right? Everybody's always asking. And what they're always looking for to say well, there might be life out there, what they're always looking for is water. That's, that's what space exploration. They're always going to say, is there water here? Is there evidence of water ever being here? Because water is so important. <laughs> it is so necessary. There, there is something about when two hydrogen and one oxygen particle come together, there is something about that that can sustain and provide for and bring about life. The text that we look at today 
John 7, it takes place at a, a special feast that was really a celebration of water. <laughs> it was the Feast of Booths. Uh, and if you see that in your uh, Bible, it's really, it probably would be better translated the Feast of Tents. It was a celebration of God's provision when God provided for the people in the wilderness. If you remember the story, when the people were, and this is in Exodus, when the people were coming out of Egypt toward the promised land, God provided food for them, but there was a time where there was no water. In Exodus 17, Moses struck the rock, and in the middle of this parched and dry wilderness, when there's no sight of water around, there's no evidence of water around, all of a sudden water flowed. And the people would come together to celebrate this. And they would live in these little tents there in Jerusalem to remember the time that they were in the wilderness, to remember how the Lord provided for them. And, and to, if you will, ask the Lord to provide for them again, to keep providing for them, to keep sustaining them, to keep giving them water. The high point of the whole festival, this is the point that we're here now. If you notice in the text, it says the last day, the great day, the high point of the feast, the high priest would get this golden pitcher and he would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would fill the pitcher of water and we'd walk through all the people as they sang the Hillel, which is Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. So there's all the people singing and they would wave these palm branches and they would hold fruit in their hand as a sign of the harvest, as a sign of God's provision for them. And they would sing the Hillel as the priest carried this pitcher of water through all their midst. Can you see the moment? I mean, here they are at the feast. It's kind of like this. It's this big celebration. We did this very ceremonial thing. We burned this snow. It's the same kind of thing. They're having this ceremony and everybody's singing and everybody's praising God. And they get to the high point, Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. And when the choir finished singing, all the people in unison would cry out at this high moment as the priest held this golden pitcher of water, they would all cry out, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord three times. And then the high priest would pour the water out of the pitcher as a sign that God had provided, that he was with them, that he was sustaining them. And it was in this moment when the high priest was pouring this water out of the pitcher, the high point of the whole celebration, it was in this moment that a voice from the crowd yells out, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that voice, that person that said that was our Lord, Jesus. And that day, that statement would totally change the lives of many of the people there today at this celebration. And my hope and prayer is that it changes our life today. Two questions I want to ask of the text. Why do we thirst? And then how do we drink? Why do we thirst? And how do we drink? Obviously, this idea, Jesus saying, if anyone thirsts, it's, it's analogous 
It's analogous, and it's a good one. It's a pointed analogy. We, we all thirst for water to have life, but there's also this other thirsting that we have. There's two Greek words for the word life, and, and actually understanding this is helpful. One is the word bios, and bios means life, like living life, like to be alive. And of course, you can see the analogy because you need water, you need physical H2O to have bios, to live, to be alive. You go long enough without water and you will die. But what Jesus, the kind of life that Jesus is talking about here, that Jesus is talking about um, uh, throughout his ministry, the word living water, the root of that is another Greek word. It's not bios. It's not saying if anyone wants to be alive, if wants to have bios, you have to come to me. He's, he's saying it's the other, this other word, zoe. He wants to have life, real life. And Zoe is the kind of life, it's, it's helpful. When you, when you say, for example, you know, get a life. Or when you say, man, this is the life, right? That, that, you're using the word Zoe. You, 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 it'd be better if we actually had two words. You're, you're saying, man, this is life. This is awesome. This is purposeful. And, and we all are searching for a Zoe, for some kind of life, to say, my life has value. My life has purpose. I am satisfied. I, I, I have drunk of life. That, that's what Jesus is saying here. If anyone is thirsty for purpose and meaning and satisfaction for rest, let him come to me and drink. You know, in the beginning of the, the Bible, the beginning of all creation, no one was thirsty. <laughs> no one was physically thirsty. No one was spiritually thirsty. The garden, one of the main features that we read about when everything was at peace, when, when humanity was at peace with God, there was a river flowing through the garden. There, there was endless water. Everybody was, was physically well taken care of in the garden in the beginning of time before sin. And of course, spiritually, the same thing. Everyone had purpose and means. You know, I believe that before sin, Adam and Eve, humanity was more aware of God, more focused on God than they were of themselves. They'd forgotten about themselves. They didn't even know of themselves. And the Bible actually gives us a clue. To, there's, a, there's a hint in the scripture to this. And the, the hint is that they were naked and didn't even know it. That's a clue in your scripture. You have to be pretty unself-aware to be naked and not realize it, right? But they'd forgotten about themselves. They didn't know who, they didn't care about themselves. They were just, God was there, <laughs> And they were just focused on God and they were just worshiping God and they were just living for God. And, and God had given the commands, they were just obeying God and the tragedy of the deception, the tragedy of sin, the, the, the tragedy that they listened to the serpent is that for the first time, rather than being more focused on God than they were on themselves, they became focused on themselves. This fruit, it, it can make you wise. It can make you like God. You know, Martin Luther says that sin is the self being curved back in on the self. There's, just, there's this energy that you and I have, we all have, to worship and praise. God put that in you, and he put that in you so that you would worship him. You'd be focused on him. You'd praise him. You'd, you'd be directed at him. But what sin is, and this trap that we're all in, let's be honest, is that that starts to extend from us, but then we say, oh, but I want to be important. Oh, but I want to be taken care of. Oh, but I don't really want to listen to this command of the Lord. I want to do it this way. I mean, that's the promise of the serpent. You'll be wise. You'll be like God. You can do whatever you want to do. 
And we've all listened to that. The problem is, when we're focused on the Lord and connected to him, he is a strong foundation. He cannot be moved. He's God. He's eternal. We're focused on ourselves. It gets really shaky really quick. We, 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 we aren't big enough to maintain the glory we want to give ourselves. And what that leads us to is fear, anxiety. It leads us to all sorts of sin. It leads us to shame. There's all, there's, there's all that a little bit of us in all of us, this idea of shame, this, this idea of regret. We, we know that we aren't as we should be. We know that we should be better. I know I've given this analogy here at Valleydale, but you know, if I were to take your whole life, I would say, well, what's your record? What's your, who are you really? And I'd put your whole life up on the screen here. All the things you've done, all the good things, but also all the things you're not proud of. You're the true you. The Bible says that God actually, too, this is the true you. He judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So all your good thoughts, all the nice thoughts you had, I'll put it up there, but also all the like weird thoughts you've had and wicked thoughts you've had and lustful thoughts you've had and greedy thoughts you've had. I'm going to put it up there. The Bible says it also judges the intentions. You know, there's sometimes where people think I'm doing something good, but actually inside my intention is so I'll be seen and they'll be like, wow, Jason D is such a good guy, you know. Puts all your intentions up there. What if, what if all of a sudden all your deeds, thoughts, intentions known by just these people here at Valleydale? How would you like that? I mean, would you take me up on that? And of course, the answer is nobody would. You'd crawl under your chair. You'd, you'd run out of here weeping. What is that? It's this impulse. It's this glory that was intended for God that you've directed back on yourself, and it has made a mess of everything. And we know it. We know that we're separated from God. It's because that's exactly what we are. Ever since the, this impulse happened, God we became his enemies and, and we were separated from his presence and we still are there today and we feel the effects of that. We want a Zoe. <laughs> we're thirsty for it. We thirst. You know, C.S. Lewis had this idea, Zainzut, this longing that's in your heart. You know, Tolkien had the distant shore. You know, you, you know that there's, it's out there, there's something that's right. It's, it's right out there. It's together out there. I want to get there. I want my life to be together. I, I, want, I want to be righteous. I, I want to be right. I want rest in my soul. But we thirst. And Paul Simon, he said, I'm empty and aching, and I don't know why. Even Bono, I've run, I've crawled. I've scaled the city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We're looking for the, the biblical word, what we're really looking for here, it's, it's the Greek DK. It's, it's translated righteousness, and that's not a bad translation necessarily, but it's, it's really a righteous showing. It's, it's really a righteous record. I want to have a record. I, wanna, I don't want to be ashamed of my video, right? I, I, I want to be able to show you my video and say, yes, I'm at peace with God and at peace with others. I want a righteous showing. Then I'll have life. Then I'll have Zoe. Then, I'll, then I can rest. Then I can experience what we were intended to experience with God for all time, which is this shalom, this peace, this rest with God. But we don't. And so we work harder. Say, well, maybe if I have enough money... <laughs> 
Or we'd, bigger, we'd buy a bigger house. Maybe my closet was just a little bigger. I'll get to the distant shore. Or we go on a better vacation. You know, it's like, you know, Destin's nice, but I need to go, I need to go better than that. I need to do something more. I got to get my soul to rest. And it never comes. And we're thirsty. That's the kind of thirst Jesus is talking about. It's, it's not bios. It's not for water. It's for living water, this Zoe. The Jewish people, just like us, were thirsty. <laughs> That's why they were at the Feast of Booths. <laughs> yes, they wanted the Lord to provide water for them, but they also wanted, they wanted this Zoe. They wanted this life. And so year after year, they would go to these celebrations and say, maybe this is the year that I finally feel at peace with God. Maybe this is the year that everything is finally set right. Maybe when the high priest says the thing with the water this year, I'll finally have rest in my soul. But of course they didn't. And it's in that moment that Jesus says so clearly, and he says to them, and he's saying it to you now. I want you to hear this. If you thirst, if you thirst, don't you thirst? <laughs> don't you know the Zanzu? Don't you know the distant shore? Don't you know what I'm talking about? If you thirst, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, if that is the answer, if that is the answer, go to Jesus and drink. <laughs> we got to ask the question then, okay, what does that mean? So that's point number two. We looked at why do we thirst, but how do we drink? How do we drink of Jesus? I mean, if you're, if you're kind of new to Christianity here, <laughs> we say things like this. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? What do we mean? What, what does it mean to drink of Jesus? Well, as I just said, we were made, you were made, no matter where you're coming from, you were made to share fellowship with God. But the problem is we're at enmity with God. We've separated ourselves from God. We've, we've rebelled against God in our sin. And of course, that puts us in this state of disarray, but there's also a barrier for us getting back into fellowship with God, and that is the justice of God. God is just, which can sound terrifying, and the justice of God is, can be a terrifying thought but it is simultaneously an incredibly comforting thought. The justice of God is simultaneously the most comforting and terrifying thought you can ever have. <laughs> because it's comforting, because if, if God is not just, you know, his justice means that he's always pure, and he's innocent, and he's right, and he will settle all things. And if you've experienced injustice, it's an incredibly comforting thought. You know, you know the injustice you faced? You know, that, you know that person out there that's wronged you and they never got caught, nobody ever knew it? Here's a comforting thought for you. God knows. God knows. God will settle that account. We can trust him. He's perfectly just. There's, there's never, a, there's never in, in, in the end of all things, all things will be settled. God will make all things right. That's what, that's what Jesus is doing. He's making all things new. That's he's renewing all things, making all things right. That's an incredibly comforting thought. You know, one of the great ministries of this church that we got to be a part of is there was a, there was a woman who came to faith from prostitution. Her name was Rachel McCool. And she came here to Birmingham. And this church, I mean, this dear church totally embraced her. I mean, she came like literally right off the streets into this church and she knew nothing. And you, you really raised her. You, you, you taught her how to walk with Jesus. You taught her so many things just about 
life, and this was a woman who night after night was being drugged up and sold. And one of the things that I could say to her is, Rachel, you know, I don't know why all this has happened to you, but I can tell you this. The God of the universe who controls all things is just, and he will settle this account. He will make this right, and he is making this right, even now. It's comforting. You know, the Robinsons just got back from Moldova, and they're going back. And I think about the ministry of the justice of God that they had. Here they are. There's all these people coming from Ukraine. It's senseless war. Families are being killed. People are being separated from their families. People are running away in total fear. And, and here's Ross and Brenda there in Moldova to receive these dear people and say, listen, I don't know why this has happened, but God is just. He'll settle this account. The, the wrongdoer will not go unpunished in the court that really matters. God's court. That's an incredibly comforting thought. I, I like to think about that. I, I like to think that God's going to make everything right. <laughs> but it is simultaneous. The justice of God is an incredibly comforting thought when it applies to the injustice that you have endured. It's a terrifying thought when it applies to the injustice that you have committed. And we just, <laughs> we all just talked about the video. No one is innocent. No one is without blood on their hands. God is just. He must act fairly and rightly. But we also see in Scripture that he's merciful and loving and kind. You know, these same Jewish people that went to the Feast of Booths year after year were reading their Old Testaments. And there is this refrain. You know, if I ever write a play on the Old Testament, have any of you ever seen the old play, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Forum? If you haven't, it's not that important. But there's a there's this character. It's, it's, it's a fascinating kind of component of the play. There's this character that's searching. I can't even remember what he's searching for. I haven't seen the play in a long time, but I'll never forget this. The character's searching for something throughout the play, and you know, five or six times throughout the play, just in the middle of the action, he just walks across the stage. And it's interesting. It's intriguing. It, it grabs you. If I ever write a play in the Old Testament, I don't plan. That's not my, like, 2023, you know, goal. But if, if I do... <laughs> I would have this character that walked across the stage from time to time and said, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation. That refrain, if you've read your Old Testament, it appears in every type of literature. It appears over and over and over and over again. The Lord, the Lord, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's gracious and merciful, but at the same time, he will by no means forgive the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generation. And you get to the end of the Old Testament and you say, what? <laughs> how, how, how can this perfect justice of God and this forgiveness and mercy and kindness and grace of God, how can they stand together? And of course, the answer comes in the New Testament. The answer is only through the gospel of Jesus. It was God's will. It was God's divine mercy that rather than holding our record of sin, rather than putting our record on us to pay, he put forward his own son, Jesus, on our behalf. 
We see this in Romans 3. This is an amazing passage. But now, <laughs> hey, striver, I want to, I'm talking to the person that, I, I want to get the bigger house this year. I want to get the raise. It'll make me happy. I need to go on a better vacation. The striver out there, I want to talk to you. Listen, all you're doing is you're trying to justify yourself by the law. There's the law of Birmingham that says, go on a better vacation, remodel your house, get a little bit more notoriety, and you'll be happy. You'll, you'll have rest. You'll have a Zoe. Your life, your life will have meaning. I want, to hear, I want you to hear this. What Romans 3 says is now, and this is this word, a decay, a, a showing, a righteous showing, the righteousness of God, the, the best showing, the righteousness that can get you in with God. Now, a record like that has been manifest, has been made possible apart from the law. We're all living by some law. I mean, you're, you may not be living by the old covenant law, but there's a law of Birmingham. There's a law of society. There's a law of whatever social class. There's a law of business, and it's do this and do this and do this, and then you'll be justified. And you never are. And you're always thirsty. The good news of Romans 3 says, look, a righteousness, a righteous showing, a righteousness that can give you peace, shalom, a righteousness give you this Zoe has now been manifest apart from all the laws. Although the law of God, the law of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The rest of the Bible, of course, bears witness to this. But the righteousness of God has been made manifest through, and here's the answer, faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is why Jesus says, if you're really thirsty and you want to be satisfied, come to me and drink. And they'll be flowing out of you just as there was in Eden, a river of living water. It says there is no distinction. This is back in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But those who believe in him are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood that we just sang about. To be received by, by simple faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance that he had passed over our sins, our former sins, to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does this mean? God is perfectly just, meaning he will settle every account. But he's also merciful and kind and loving that there had to be a price paid. I mean, God wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be God if he didn't defend his own glory. And our sin against him is rebellion against the eternal and glorious God. And therefore, it deserves an eternal and weighty cost. But God, in maintaining his justice for those that he loved, for those that he des desired to be gracious to, that he sends this offer to all who would believe in Jesus, God has put forward his own son, Jesus, to pay this price. God has taken on the punishment for our sin himself in the person of Jesus. The, the, the scripture tells us, it explains God, we, we are Trinitarians, we believe in a three-person God, the first person, the second person, the third person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the, the way that the Bible, and this is very important, the way that the Bible wants us to understand the kind of love that the first person of the Trinity, the Father, has for the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, is the kind of love that a father has for their child. 
The Bible wants you to see this. And I just want you to hear this. That is a profound love. I can speak with some authority on this. I am a son. I have been loved by a good and wonderful father. But I'm also now a father. I have these three beautiful children. Two of them were born right here. In fact, I remember our first day here, Emeryanna was one year old. She was just about one year old. We first, we preached a view of a call here and we held her up and she looked out at all you and said, well, who are these people, you know? I love that little girl. I was telling somebody the other day what it is like, you know, our whole church is like 25-year-olds. It's all these young people and they meet and they fall in love. It's fun. It's awesome. I do a ton of weddings. And, and now they're having kids. And I was explaining to somebody today what it's like to have your first child. And I was like, you, you literally feel your heart grow inside of you. I mean, I literally feel, I mean, I've never experienced anything like that, the birth of my firstborn. I mean, I just felt it. You know, I, I didn't cry for 10 years in my life. I remember I, I was bothered me. I was like, I should cry. And then I got married. <laughs> And then I had three kids, and now I cry all the time. You know, my heart grew. I experienced this profound love that a father has for a child. And this love is no ordinary love. This is God. This is God the Father. This is the eternal God. There was no sin. It's been eternity. And he has constantly and faithfully and richly loved his son, Jesus. Yet because of God's rich and immeasurable love for you, this father, our heavenly father, was willing to put forward his own son, Jesus, who came to earth, who lived out righteousness, who always was in step with his father, who had a perfect decay, a perfect justification. He was always in step with God. The father was willing to put forward his righteous son in exchange for your soul and mine to justify us in Christ. For our sake, Jesus went to the cross. For our sake, God was willing to put forward Jesus that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How is it possible that the Lord is both merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving the iniquity, and will by no means clear the guilty? How, how has the Father done this? Well, here's how he's done it. He's paid the price himself through his son, Jesus. Don't you see what God has done? Don't you see how much God loves you? Well, what is this kind of love? Drink of this love. I just want you to hear this. I mean, I love you. <laughs> but I wouldn't scratch one of my children for one of you. And yet our Heavenly Father put forward Jesus to die for you, to suffer his wrath for you, to take on the consequence of all your sin so that in him, through faith in him, through simple faith in him, we can come back into fellowship with God Almighty. And the Son... The son, he was willing to endure everything for you. He was willing to endure hell for you, to be forsaken by his father, to be put out. The one who had always enjoyed fellowship with the father is on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken. He was put out so that you could be brought in. Did you see what God has done for you? So Jesus says, look, if you, if you thirst... <laughs> If you thirst, if you want to know that your life has purpose, if you want to know that you're loved, if you want to have value, drink this. 
God loves you. God is calling to himself. Come back into the garden. Be restored. Turn your heart away from yourself toward him. That's where life is. That's where true Zoe is. Now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. Do you believe? Do you look to Jesus? You know what else Jesus yelled out when he was on the cross? He also said in this moment where he was being put out, he was enduring all of our shame, all of our loss. In this moment, you know what else he yelled out? He said, I thirst. Jesus, who always knew God, he, he is this river of life, was totally parched, totally dry, totally ruined for us. He went to the depths for us. I thirst, I thirst, I thirst. And he thirsted for you and for me. So now he can give you the invitation. Now he can say to you, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Because he thirsted, now we can drink. And so drink, drink of this Valleydale. Drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to Jesus. Drink. Don't you know who you are in Christ? So I want to give you a couple of invitations as we close. Look, if you're here today, and this is due to you, this, this gospel is due to you, or maybe just the gospel has moved in your heart today like it never has before, I just invite you, even in this moment, right now, in this moment, just to turn your heart to Jesus. In simple faith, just to look to Jesus, to believe that these things are true. And here's the deal, they are true. You know, this afternoon, I know that Mac has a, and Miss Debbie, they're taking a group to Israel. They have a meeting for Israel, and they're going to go to Israel. They're going to go to Jerusalem. This real city, this real place, real place, this real time, this real event that happened. One day in Jerusalem, eyes opened, and a man who had been brutally crucified came alive, Amen. defeating death, conquering the grave. And he offers life to you and hope and restoration with God. So, so turn to him today. Believe in him. Look to Jesus. And I also invite you, Valleydale, those that love our Lord, that have loved Jesus longer than I've been alive. So many in this church that just preciously love our Jesus. I just want to say to you this. Keep drinking. Keep drinking of this water. Keep finding your life and identity in him. You, you live in a world that's going to want to point you to significance and life and all of these other things. Keep drinking of Jesus. Keep worshiping. Keep, keep feeding on his word. Keep drinking. Keep finding fellowship of the faith. And the more you do, here's the deal. The more and more and more you do, the less and less you'll think about yourself. And the more you're going to rest in him. And the more satisfied you will be. Keep drinking. Keep looking to Jesus. You know, this church has done something so significant today. You, you've gotten debt-free. <laughs> You're 50 years old. You're debt-free. I love what Max said. What do you want to do now? And you know what? That's the question. Don't, don't settle into a complacent church. You got a nice building, debt-free. Be courageous. Trust Christ. 
Don't get comfortable. Don't sit back. There is a world that is thirsty, that's lost, and you have the living water. That's, that's, the, that's the, what this whole thing is all about. That's why you did this. That's why you built this building. That's why you, 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 you wanted to say, hey, we want more space for people to come because the living water is here. If anyone thirsts, let them come drink. Keep drinking. You know how the whole Bible ends? <laughs> you know how the whole Bible ends? The end of the Bible. This is the end. This is it. This is the last thing you read. It's both an invitation and it's a challenge. And I want to leave you with this. The end of the scripture, this is Revelation 22. It says, the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit of God, and the bride. The Holy Spirit of God and the bride. You know who the bride is? You're the bride. So it's an instruction. It's an instruction. It's actually an instruction to the Holy Spirit and to the church. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He obeys Jesus and the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is obeying Jesus and the Father. And it's also an instruction to him. It's an instruction to us. This is the Spirit. Let the Spirit and the church, let the Spirit and the bride say, Come. There's your instruction. Say, come. <laughs> Say, come. That's our whole life. Come, come, come drink of this water. Come find this life that I have found. Let the Spirit and the church say, come. The Holy Spirit's going to say, come. Will we? And let the one who hears, hears the invitation. Because, yes, we're inviting people to living water, but we drink of the living water. And let the one who hears... Also say, also come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires drink from the water of life without price. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are a thirsty people. We've chased after our own selfish dreams and desires and they've left us empty and aching. But we do know why. It's because we're separated from you. And there's only one way to be restored to you and that is through Jesus who you have graciously put forward as a savior for us. To take on our record of sin, to cancel our sin completely, to cancel the debt of sin, as Kirkwood said earlier, fully. And so now in Jesus we can come can drink. We can find ourselves back in this place of Eden. <laughs> but it's even better than Eden. It's a new Jerusalem where the river of life flows and where we can drink of you, Lord. We can find our significance in you, not in ourselves. We find our rest and healing and life, Zoe, in you, Lord. May we be a people who drink. Thank you, Lord, for these 50 beautiful years, for all the joys and all the sorrows along the way, because, Lord, even the bad things are swallowed up in the deep victory of Jesus. And so we look to him now. We trust him. We drink of this water that he provides. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.